thankful for the love of God. Amen. We serve a God that the scripture declares is love. There's a big difference in what you do and what you are. And sometimes we view God as love is what He does when the truth of the matter is love is what He is. Amen. And so you cannot encounter Him in any type of situation and there not be love involved because that's who He is. So many people are looking at God and, and they view Him as one that if He has the right mood based on our, our performance, then He'll extend love toward us. When the truth is, it doesn't matter what you do, what I do, what goes on, what happens, He is love. And love will always, always be the strongest influence that we feel coming from God. As human beings, sometimes we fail people and we let people down and they want to approach us and think the response will be coded or covered in love and maybe they catch us at the wrong moment and, and we do not respond the way they thought we were going to respond or something comes out that they had not seen before. That will never happen with Him. That's what's so wonderful about God that it's always love and He is not just love, He's perfect love. Look at your neighbor and say, perfect love. Perfect love. Amen. I'm going to the Word of God today. We will be reading first out of the book of Isaiah, the 37th chapter, so you can find your way there. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. You're more than welcome to follow along in whatever version that you have, but I will be reading out of the English Standard Version. If it sounds a little bit different, you will know why. Amen. Karen, great to have family with you today. She traveled the, probably the farthest to get here. Amen. All the way. You guys still in China or just moved to Bangkok? Oh, okay. So not quite China anymore. It's Bangkok now. Great to have you. Glad you're here today. Leroy, you guys, happy anniversary back there. How many years? 46? Chris, Veronica, look, look back there. That's 46 years. They are, they are one week away. Is it this Thursday? This Thursday, they're one month in. Amen. So, um, they're, I mean, the, it, the family of God, it's awesome. They're less than a month in. They're 46 years in. We serve an awesome God. Amen. And um, to, to know that God will, God will keep you. And God will work in your midst. Here's a prime example if you allow Him to. Amen. And your testimony, if the Lord tarries His coming, your testimony will be the same. Amen. Now, Lisa and I have decades to go to reach that, but we're on our way. Amen. We are, we are 29 years in, in October, so it's coming quickly. All right, if you have your Bibles, I'm looking at Isaiah 37, verse number 14. If you have it, say praise the Lord. All right, follow along with me. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. 
And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear all the words of Shennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord God, save us from His hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that You alone are the Lord. Amen. Somebody shout, Amen. Once again, this 14th and 15th verse, Hezekiah receives the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. God bless you. You may be seated. I want to talk to you for just a little while today from this thought. Don't overlook the obvious. Don't overlook the obvious. On different occasions, I'm sure uh, many of you could agree with me, but at least from my perspective, on many different occasions over the last few years, I have noticed specific signs that are showing up in hospitals, places of business, restaurants, schools, other, other places that I, that I frequent. And I've seen them, uh, it seems like, more so over the last decade. These signs state things like the number of days with no accidents, or the number of weeks with no falls, or the number of months with no complaints. Has anyone seen signs like that? It seems like over the last uh, decade or so, the specific things that they are that they are stating. Now, those signs are the results and their specific actions that have been taken to produce those type of results. If days have gone by without accidents on the job, it's because specific steps were taken to lead to that result. If there have been weeks with uh, no falls at all, my, my dad, when he was in the hospital across from his bed, it, there was a simple sign that said, call, don't fall. And uh, when my, my dad would see that, he would often say, call on me and I will answer thee and I will show thee great. And he would, he would see that as the beginning of uh, words in verses. He wasn't all there, but he would see these things and he didn't realize it was for his safety they wanted him in the bed. He just thought that it was something prompting a memory verse to his mind and he would cry out, call on me and I will answer thee. And, and then he'd say, call, don't fall. And it, it just didn't register. But, but, but those are there, those 
those signs are there uh, because of specific actions that have been taken. Then there are months that many times are listed with no complaint. The reason the complaints have not come and the reason the falls didn't happen and, 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 and because uh, the accidents are not showing up as frequently, there have been specific actions taken to produce those results. Somewhere, someone took note of accidents, too many accidents, too many falls, an excessive amount of complaints, and said, we need to do something about this, and so let's uh, try our best to take specific actions to get better results. Now, uh, a tool is a, uh, not a tool in a tool chest, but the name of a author, and he wrote many years ago as a fellow and general surgeon at Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston, as a staff writer also for the New York Times and an assistant professor at Harvard Medical School and the Harvard School of Public Health. He has three children, wife, lives in Massachusetts. He, he wrote a book, this doctor wrote a book, January 4th, it was released of 2011. So we are, what, eight, eight and a half years or so into uh, our lives since he wrote this book. The book was released and it was called The Checklist Manifesto. The Checklist Manifesto. If you haven't read it, I encourage you to do that if you have any interest in reading those type of things. And without us spending an enormous amount of time explaining the various details of this book, medical book, I want to share with you something uh, that stands out, a specific point that stands out in the book to me. Now, he, he looked back in the medical field and he saw that there were many infections and there were many things that were happening in the intensive care units and in uh, the operating rooms and things that were going on that he thought could be better. And so as he started researching and looking through all of this, he goes all the way back to uh, pilots and the airline industry and the checklist that they put into place many, many decades ago. And because of the checklist, their lives have been saved and flights have come and gone all over the world. And it comes down to pilots that go through a checklist every flight that they take. And they look for specific things and it has to be checked off every time and it has to be verified by a co-pilot and others to, 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 to truly say we can fly this plane and feel comfortable that we will get from point A to point B. Now he looked through all of this and uh, out of that he began to make a checklist for uh, hospitals and for administration and for uh, surgeries and, and others. Now in the Kaiser Health News, they reported as a result of checklists that were put into place when this one doctor brought it to the attention of those involved in his field, they, they, they pointed out that infections had been stopped and there, there was a marker to all of this. For a long time, this is what they wrote, many healthcare providers believed that it was inevitable that some small percentage of intense care, intensive care patients would get in 
infections after the insertion of a tube, a catheter, a ventilator, and often multiple days they would have an infection uh, to these things placed in there and they would be on them for days to keep them alive, that it was just expected if you had one of those things, you would end up with an infection. This is the way, this is the way that it was viewed for many years. And so here's a doctor that steps in and says, I think that this can be different. And there were many medical professors that stood against him and said, in practice, this is not going to happen. I'll never look through a checklist. That's why I worked in for nine or ten years to get to where I am. Someone was looking over my shoulder every day. And so all of this is already here. I know what I need to be doing and, and I'm not going to go through a checklist. So there were people that came out against him and saying, it is just to be expected that if any one of these things happens in an intensive care unit, a tube, a catheter, a ventilator, you're on them or you have them for days, you will end up with an infection. Now this doctor said, I think it could be different. I I really think that it could be different if we started utilizing a checklist. So Peter, uh, Senior Vice President for Patient Safety and Quality at John Hopkins Medical Center in Baltimore, He proved them all wrong. Now this doctor began using a checklist at John Hopkins that led to, I love this, I love this, it led to 90% drop in bloodstream infections in the hospital's intensive care unit and that in some cases got the infection rate to zero. So one doctor said, Everybody else may be standing against this, and I'm a professional, and I've been doing this for years, and I know what needs to be done, but I will take this doctor at his word, and I will implement a checklist in my own life and the intensive care unit that I oversee, and, and we'll just test it, see what the theory is. Will it pan out? And as he put this checklist into practice, Bloodstream infections in the intensive care unit dropped 90% and in some cases all the way all the way to zero. And so uh, he proved that it was something that needed to be considered. On his checklist, I want you to see what this doctor put to receive such uh, uh, great results. The first thing he put on his checklist was wash hands. D- didn't we learn that as children? If you didn't learn that as a child, please hear me today. You should have. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. So he puts on his checklist, John Hopkins, (laughs) here's this hospital, and uh, with all the notoriety, and here is one of the the world-renowned physicians making a checklist for himself and those that work there, and he said, okay, the first thing that we all need to do is wash our hands. I would hope that if anyone is working on me, that they would wash their hands. Not that I have issues, but they may have issues. So I just don't want to contract anything. The first thing he said was wash hands. The second thing he put on his checklist was clean the patient's skin with antiseptic. Now doesn't that sound, I mean, doesn't that sound like something you would just know to do and you would do it without giving it second thought? So this is the second thing he put on his checklist. He then, on the third thing, he listed it as put a sterile draping over the patient. 
So once you have cleaned the area, then make sure the area continues to stay that way. Cover them up and make sure it's a sterile environment. So this is, this is rocket science here. Anybody see that this is almost hard to accomplish and understand? The fourth thing he said was wear a mask. Now we're in the intensive care unit. All types of sicknesses and diseases and things come through there. He said, put on a mask. And then he listed, put on a hat, put on a sterile gown. And then he says, put on gloves. And then finally the checklist ends with putting on a sterile dressing over the insertion site once the tube is in. So this doesn't sound like something that is so far-fetched that a candy striper couldn't get it done if they happen to stumble into the intensive care unit delivering flowers. And literally, because he said, wash your hands, clean the area, cover the patient up, put a mask on, get a hat on, put gloves on, clean the air. Once the area is clean, make sure it stays that way when the tube is inserted. 90% of bloodstream infections dropped 90%. All because of someone deciding that it's important to wash your hands. Now, the checklist manifesto details how this doctor worked with hospitals in Michigan in a study published in 2006 on using a checklist in the ICU units and uh, the hospitals reported a 66% drop in infections and many got their infection rates to zero. A checklist. Something as simple as a checklist saved lives by the thousands. And over the last decade, you see these signs that I was talking about. Call, don't fall. It's been X amount of days and no accident here in this manufacturing place of business. It's been weeks and no one has fallen. It's been months and there's been no complaints. You go into restaurants, you go, and it'll say, employees. I want to say, if you have to tell your employee to wash their hand, I really don't want to eat here. They're cooking my food. I I would think that this is something you would do before you ever start uh, touching, uh, but it doesn't happen that way. So there's reminders there. There are checklists uh, that, are, that are going up everywhere to keep people accountable. And as a result of that, sickness, disease, we see the results in what we, the, the description that I just gave you from Kaiser Health News and what they are finding. But one doctor decides it can be different and he finds a, a, a solution and the solution is just make a checklist. Look at your neighbor and say, just make a checklist. Just make a checklist. Now, I'm going to our text because I, I want to tie these things together if I can. And what we read in 37, 14 through 20 was the, the prayer. And it's known as Hezekiah's prayer for or of deliverance. Hezekiah is put into a difficult situation and he begins to pray a prayer of deliverance. You go back to 
the 36th chapter, one chapter earlier in the first verse, and you find out where all of this was stemming from. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So you have an opposing force, Sennacherib, that rises up in the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign in Judah. And this Assyrian king says, we are going to take all the fortified cities of Judah and we will own Judah before it is all said and done. And this is where it begins. Here is an attack that is launched against Judah. And there was much development that happened uh, to this direct threat that we read about in the uh, 37th chapter and verse 14. So when you go all the way through the 36th chapter and the first 14 verses of Hezekiah 37 or 13 verses, you will see that because Sennacherib said, we're taking Judah, ultimately it is all now funneled down toward the king of Judah who is Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, we read, he get, he hear, a messenger shows up and the messenger delivers to him, this is what the Assyrian king is saying will happen to all of us. Now, uh, Hezekiah is in this place where this doesn't sound good. He reads it, the Bible said. He goes to the house of the Lord. He lays it out before God and he begins to pray. Previous to this... Isaiah is the prophet during this time. And the word gets to Isaiah. Hey, Sennacherib is going to destroy Judah, taking all the cities and claiming ownership of the land. And there is nothing that anyone will be able to do about this. And Isaiah responds saying, Listen, don't worry so much about him. God has a way of handling this man. So Isaiah hears it, and as the prophet, he's saying, don't be so stressed over this. And he tries to offer a word of encouragement, not, not, not to believe the report of the adversary. Thank God for people in our lives when threats come will tell us, don't believe the report of the adversary. Don't believe the threat of what is coming your way. Isaiah tried to do that. But many times then, just like in, in this day that we're living, in the challenge come and stressful moments rise in our life and there's difficulty all around and the only thing we can see is the negative rather than hearing what Isaiah had to say. Isaiah said don't fret over this but how do you not fret over this when you're in the middle of the situation and Sennacherib is saying you might as well give up because I will control this land before it's all said and done. Then you get to verse 14 where Hezekiah receives the letter now from the hand of the messenger and he reads it and he goes to the house of the Lord. He lays it out before the Lord and he starts praying at that moment. Now Hezekiah took these steps. I want you, if you will, to just let what I started with connect here for a moment. Hezekiah made a checklist. So many of us just think I'll wing it and hope for the best. And because I've been down the road before, surely it will work out. Folks, I've pastored people for a long time. And I can tell you, 
There have been people that have come and gone under our ministry that thought, it'll all work out. Those things, I don't have to do that. You know what? I can't change their situation. I, I've delivered it. I've preached it. I've exemplified it. I put it before them. Tried to hold them accountable. But some people are like doctors ten years ago that said, I've been practicing medicine for decades and I know what works and doesn't work. Don't you bring a checklist into my office. And one doctor said, yes, I have notoriety. I'm in a place with medical professionals that everyone knows about, but I think I will start doing this. And I'll make a checklist. What can help in, with infection in the intensive care unit that I oversee? Well, let's start with, why don't we wash our hands? Why, why don't we, do you see how simple this is? Hezekiah, when I read this, this is what he did. He received the news, he read it, he considered the news, and he went to the house of the Lord, he spread the situation out before God, and he started praying. So, here is a simple checklist that I see Hezekiah going through. He hears the news like we all do. Okay, some people say, I don't want to hear it. Don't tell me. I don't want to hear anything about it. Don't tell me. It's going to be okay. It'll all work out. And we don't even want to hear And we think if we just tune it out or turn it off, that it'll go away. It's not the case. If there's an issue in your home, hear it out. Don't keep ignoring it. If there's something in your body, if there's something on your job, don't ignore it. Receive the news. He read over it. Okay, that's how you feel. You cannot get anywhere in your marriage if all you're doing is arguing back when a person is trying to express to you how they're being made to feel or what their thoughts are in that situation. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. It's going to be okay. We're going to ignore this. We're not going to talk about this. Let's give this a few days. We need time apart. No, you need to talk. And you need to, in the midst of talking, listen. Somebody has to be listening, the messengers show up, the doctor says, Barry, something's going on in your body. I'm not going back to that doctor because he said, that's what people do. I know people that do that. Well, I talked to so-and-so, and can you believe that they said that this is what's going to result if I don't? I'm not even talking to them again. The checklist is you better get really clear on what's going on. Know exactly where the attack is coming from. The Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. You can't say, I'm going to ignore the stronghold, it'll go away. You have the weapon to pull it down, but you need to know what you're fighting against. You need to know what you're dealing with. And the Bible tells us this, we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Well, I just don't know, Pastor. I don't have a clue. Well, you should have had a clue because the warning signs were there. But sometimes we get so busy and so quick that we move past the warning signs. Your body will talk to you when sickness shows up. Start listening to it. Don't ignore it. 
Well, that's just old age. No, it may be something beyond old age. He, here's a checklist. I want to know when a threat comes. I want to know when an attack comes. I want to know who it's coming from and what motivated this and what's behind this because it helps me to be able to devise what I'm going to do in response to what has come. If I don't know what I'm dealing with, then I might be, as Scripture describes, I might just be beating at the wind or the air and getting nowhere in accomplishing what needs to be accomplished in my life. So Hezekiah, the first thing he did was he received the message. He did not ignore it. He read it. He read through. Okay, this is what you're saying is going to happen to my family. This is what you're saying is going to happen to my body. This is what you're saying is going to happen to this city, to this kingdom, to this land. All right, I'm clear on that. So he makes this checklist of receiving it, reading it, And the first thing he did, once he got there, was he went to the house of the Lord. His checklist wasn't, post this on Facebook, put this out on social media, put this on blast to everybody, call ten friends, show up at 63 different affairs and expect, no. Go get seven or eight different reports and and tests done. The first thing he did on his checklist was he went to the house of the Lord. He knew where help would come from. Sometimes we go to everybody and everything but the house of the Lord. Well, Pastor, you don't know what I've been going through. I've been so sick and things have been going on, so I had to stay at home a while. You're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. I'm going to get to the house of the Lord if I have to drag one leg behind me. If I have to, I'm going to get there if it's humanly possible to get there. Because staying at home and, and closing the shades and turning the lights off and crawling under the bed, saying, I got this report. That's not going to change one thing. The checklist is go to the house of the Lord. And when you get to the house of the Lord, take what you've heard and take what you've read through and spread it out before Him. Don't walk in here like when people say, How are you doing? How are you doing, Ireland? And you've been going through hell. I'm doing great, liar. And then six months later, a year later, people say, That was going on? Yeah, I was lying through that time. I called it faith, but it was really a lie. Come on, this, is, this place is for you and I to come together and be encouraged and helped by people that are around us. And if they don't know we're struggling, and if they don't know we're hurting, then we will not be on the top of their prayer list. We will be way down the list somewhere because we've been telling everybody, I'm great. I mean, you could say things could be better. You could say, it's been a little bit of a difficult week, but I know God's still on the throne. He spread the situation before the Lord. He didn't make up something that was different. He said, God, we're in trouble, and this is what the messenger said. And when I read it, Shennacherib is coming in. He's taking all the fortified cities, and I'm the king, and I know that he's going to kill me before it's all said and done. And so, Lord, this is your land. These are your people. Here's what's going on, and I need to just get real with you. Before you can ever get to a place of... Forgiveness, you have to come to a place of true repentance. 
Before change ever happens in your life, you have to be clear on what you're dealing with and not ashamed to say, I've fallen, I've made mistakes, I failed, I've come up short, I lost it last week, I'm not where I need to be, but I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord, pouring it out before Him, saying, here it is, God, I'm spreading it out before you. It was on the checklist. The next thing on the checklist was he prayed. You want things to start changing? Pray. Don't overlook the obvious. We hear prayer mentioned in every service. We hear it, see it on the bulletins. Folks around us talk about it. We discuss prayer. But there are so many people that neglect to wash their hands, if you will. There are so many people that we say, I've been knowing that since I was a kid. I've been around the church my whole life. I know what prayer can do. Then pray. Pray. Check the box on your list, pray. If you don't pray, nothing will change. If you don't pray, your situation will not turn. It's like washing your hands. It's the obvious thing in the ICU. It should be the obvious thing in the church. If we don't do anything else, we pray. And this is what he said about prayer in his word. He said to pray without... See, you know the verse, why don't you do it? He said, without ceasing. In other words, without stopping. Without hitting the pause button. Without quitting. Without taking a break. That literally our every day, all day, should be enveloped, if you will, in an attitude and state of prayer. That at any moment, prayer is what's coming out of us. He didn't say, my house shall be known as a house of rejoicing. My house shall be known as a house of holiness. My house shall be known as a house of giving. My house shall be known as a house of fellowship. My house shall... He didn't say that. He said, my house shall be known as a house of prayer. Prayer is the box that many times we don't check because we think just because we're doing all of those other things, the box is checked. It's not checked until you turn the faucet on. And Sister Craven, we were in the hospital the other night with her husband, and he, he said, uh, the conversation, he said something about drinking or washing his hands out of a spigot. And she said, spigot? <laughs> like, like, we're in Colorado now, not North Carolina. You can't say, I'm in the hospital washing my hands out of a spigot. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A spigot. If you don't, then you don't even know what living is like. Amen. Till you drink out of a spigot. But why, it's like turning... Prayer is like turning the handle on the faucet when you're about to. Prayer is what all of a sudden when the enemy is threatening and it looks like there's no way around. You have to make sure you're bringing your situation to Him and fully and completely pouring it all out and saying, here it is, God. Here is the situation of my life. Somebody put your hands together. I'm quickly running out of time, so I will not read 16 through 20, but I will say to you that those verses record the prayer that he prayed. And 
this last week, I prayed this same prayer when studying for this message. But I changed some of the verbiage to fit my situation. And I say, you can do the same thing. Here is what he told the Lord. From 16 to 20 is the prayer that he prayed. And I was the other day reading through it again. And it just came to me. I'm going to pray this situation for my situation. I'm going to pray this exact prayer. And I'm going to put where I am into that. And if it worked for Hezekiah, I have to believe it will work for me. Because the same God that responded to him is the same God that will respond to me. And so I'm going to take these four or five verses and I'm going to read them and pray before the Lord. I encourage you to do the same. It worked then and I believe it will work now. There is nothing in greater importance of greater importance than uh, to pray. And you haven't done anything until you've prayed. Talk to whoever you want to. Get whatever answer you think you can come up with. But if you haven't prayed, you haven't heard His answer. Somebody shout amen. Come on, shout amen. Nothing else that you would move on and say, well, I'll try this and I'll try that. None of that will even work anywhere close to producing the result that you want like prayer can. Don't overlook the obvious. Check the box of prayer in your life. Somebody hear me today. Look at your neighbor and say, hear pastor today. Say, get this, get this. Verse 21 all the way through 35, the same chapter reveals, reveals the answer that God gave. Verse 21 declares this. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, because you have prayed. I love this. So, so 14 and 15, Hezekiah is saying, God, here it is. Here it is. This is what's going on. And then 16 all the way down through 20, he just pours it out. God, here's what we're looking for. Here's what we need. Verse 21, the Bible said, God responds by saying, because you have prayed to me, watch, not a general prayer. See, if you don't know who's attacking you, back to what I already said, if you don't know what you're facing and you're just praying general prayers, don't be surprised if you get a general answer rather than a specific answer. But when you get specific and say it's Sennacherib or it's my body, it's my job, it's my marriage, it's whatever it may be. The scripture said, because you prayed to me concerning what? Sennacherib. Because you said, this is what I'm coming to you with today and this is what it's about he said you were so specific I'm going to be specific with you you prayed concerning Sennacherib king of Assyria don't discount the powerful effects of sincere prayer and specific prayer say well I've been praying for that same situation for a while keep on praying Keep calling that name out. Keep calling that job out. Keep calling that struggle out. Keep calling that addiction out. Keep calling whatever it is. Say, God, here it is. Here it is. Sennacherib, Sennacherib, Sennacherib. He's the king of Assyria. He wants to take Judah. He's going to take all the cities. God, I need you to intervene. I want you to do something about this. Not, oh, God, bless everybody. God, help everybody. You know all the requests. God, move in all the situations. No. You say, God, my husband's name is thus and so. And I'm praying for thus and so. 
so today. And God, I'm coming to you in sincerity because I know you can work in this situation. God, here it is. It's a physical deal that I'm going through and I'm believing for a good report, but only you can change this. Only you, God, can change. Are you hearing me? He said, because you have prayed, because you have prayed to me concerning Shennacherib, I'm going to do something for you. I love how God responds when we pray. And so the answer comes from the Lord. And it's release. Prayer caused the answer to be released in Hezekiah's situation. When's the last time you had that kind of word spoken over your situation? That you heard from God and He said, Cindy, because you prayed, about the ailment in your body. I'm going to turn this. Because you prayed, Morgan, about... When's the last time you heard God say, because you did it that way? Because you prayed a certain way and a specific way, there was a deliberate answer in that particular situation that came because you prayed. I think many times we just pray and say, well, there were people praying for us and we were just praying and look what the Lord did. And then there's times that we go months and months and months and nothing ever changes. And we're saying, when is God ever going to end? When is God going? When are you going to get so specific with the Lord that instead of trying to get everybody else involved in your situation, that you just get to the house of the Lord and you just lay it out before Him and get transparent and honest and say, God, here it is. Move Shennacherib out of the way. Deal with this situation because I can't do it, but I know you can, God. And I'm fully and completely trusting you in this situation. I hope I'm helping somebody today. Too often the opposite happens in our life because we don't pray. uh, We don't pray the correct way. The situation lingers in our life. Let me see the hands of those that would say, Pastor, there are things lingering in my life that I would have liked to have seen gone a long time ago. My hand is up today. My hand is up. There are things that are continuing in my life, lingering in my life, that I wanted gone a whole long, long time ago. So maybe I need to be reminded today that I've forgotten to wash my hands spiritually. Maybe I've forgotten to put the mask on. Maybe I've forgotten to clean the area up. Maybe I need to get back and quit overlooking the obvious and say, if he says prayer works and I'm going to start praying if prayer does change things then I'm going to start praying I'm not going to wish about prayer or philosophize about prayer or discuss prayer I'm going to find a place and get on my knees before the Lord and say God here it is change this because only you can do it only you can do it James says this chapter 5 verse number 13 he said is anyone among you suffering let Him pray. Doesn't say, are you suffering? Walk in like sad sack. Moping around. Can't talk today. And everybody around you is uncomfortable. Because instead of praying, you've chosen to put all of that out on everybody else. He said, if you're suffering, pray. Pray. Quit thinking it's just going to change. Quit thinking that I'll just, I'll outlast this. I know pastors, and I've literally had conversations with pastors that were 
under, under attack in their church. And hear them say, I realized a long time ago that there's some things you just can't take care of. You just have to outlive them. And so the church suffers while you're outliving the problem. So people are lost while you outlive the problem. So evangelism revival ne- never takes place because you're just going to outlive the problem. You just think time is the answer. He said, if you're suffering, pray. <laughs> Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Oh, if you're as happy as you're telling us that you are, and you're posting on Facebook about how great everything in life is, why don't you come in here and act like all hell's broke loose? Come in here and dance and shout and run and jump around and talk about how exciting it is because you're telling everybody out there that's what's going on and coming in here and living something different. So you're lying to everyone. If you're really cheerful, then put it on your face. If you're really cheerful, put your hands together. If you're really cheerful, sing the song. Lift your voice. Even if you're off key, sing the song. Be excited. Rejoice. Don't walk in and say, well, I'm not of that type. Then you're an absolute boring person to be around. If you're happy, we want to let everybody know you're happy. Put a smile on your face. Be positive and uplifting and encouraging. He said, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. We were in a group meeting the other, the other night and uh, Cece, I believe it was you that said you needed a prayer in your body. And before the meeting, the, the meeting was over. Sister Ragland said, Pastor, did you bring your oil or do you want to use my oil? I said, I'll use your oil. So she gave me her oil and we went over and started praying for Cece right there. We didn't say, well, I'll just put that on my list and if I get to it, I'll try to pray for you in the next week or two. Praise God, her knees are better today. Amen. He said, if you're sick, call for somebody who can pray. Not not say, well, I think you need this medicine. I think you need to go see that doctor. I'm not against any of those things. But if you do all of that before you pray, you've made a grave mistake. Because it could have been that God was going to step in in that situation and turn it completely around before you ever pursued any other answer. I, 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 I know I'm telling you the truth today. There's an evangelist coming out in me right now. I'm preaching better than you're responding. <laughs> Feeling like my old self again. If you're not going to give me a Pentecostal amen, give me a Baptist nod, something. Don't just sit there looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Hey, he answers prayer. Prayer works. Prayer changes things. Prayer can fix it. Prayer can cause the release to come. But you have to pray. You have to pray. You have to pray. You cannot just talk about it. You have to do it. Pray. Pray. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. I go to church with them, but I don't care much about them. Well, if you can't do anything else, at least pray. Pray for one another. Hold one another up in prayer. You may not go out to eat every week, but still pray for them. Come on, the Bible said to us to pray for those who despitefully use you. When your enemy, when things are coming coming against you and people are speaking out against you, 
Rather than cursing them, start praying for them. Pray for them. It's not easy to do. I'll be the first one to admit that it is not easy to do. But I feel so much better when I get it off of my shoulders and I put it into His hands and say, God, You're the one that can work in this situation. Pray that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. I love this. Elijah was a man with, our, with, with nature like ours and he prayed when we say I can't do that the Bible said Elijah had a nature just like us and what did it say he did prayed he could have given up he could have thrown in the towel he could have quit surrendered in the middle of the attacks that came to him and the Bible said he prayed fervently that it might not rain is that specific is that okay here's what's happening the heavens are dry There's a drought. No more. What did he do? He prayed about rain. Rain. (laughs) That it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. He said, don't let it rain, God. And for three years and six months, no rain. Then he prayed, the scripture said, again. He prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Same God prayed, and the heavens dried up. And three and a half years later, He prayed again, and the heavens started raining. Prayer can make a difference in your situation. Don't overlook the obvious. Make sure you're checking that box. Because when you start checking that box, disease starts going down. Threat starts going down. Despair starts going down. Anxiety starts going down. Struggle starts going down. Sickness starts going down. When you start praying, all of the turmoil and things that are going on, they begin to decline in the atmosphere of prayer. I'm trying to get to the end of this, but I'm out of time. Let's stand together. Please notice what the Scripture said. The Scripture stated it this way. Not just anyone, although prayer works for everyone. This verse in James mentions those who are righteous. He said, King James Version, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. See, some things in prayer will only be released based on not just the prayer, but one, what kind of life you're living. He said a righteous. And then he then he said The prayer cannot be, now I lay me down to sleep from any sinner that just wants to say, God, take care of this. And then people say, he doesn't answer prayer because he doesn't answer prayers from people who are not praying those prayers fervently, intently, with passion, with burning desire, with a committed life. When you're living that way, there are some prayers that will be answered in your life that would never be answered if you decided to live some other way or just come to Him say, now I lay me down to sleep. 
or over a meal saying, thank you, Lord. God is good. God is great. Some prayers, you're going to have to move beyond God is good and God is great. Now I lay me down to sleep. Some prayers, you have to get in a corner somewhere by yourself and you have to weep salty tears and you have to cry until your voice is give out and you have to intercede in the presence of God saying Lord it's Sennacherib my family this kingdom your name everything's coming down unless you step in and do something about this God I know it looks bad but it's not too big for you and so Lord I spread it out here I'm pouring it out I'm praying I'm trying to touch heaven in this situation God and here's what will happen if you want to get to that place and you're not there in righteousness it's as simple as saying God forgive me God search my heart God I'm not living the way I need to be living I've been expecting you to do something just because I've demanded it. But I haven't lived the kind of life that you would respect enough to say I'll answer that for them so God forgive me. God search my heart. I want to be in right standing with you. That's how easy it is to get to that place where you can start praying and you pour your heart out and your burden body and you're not worried about who's around you or what they're saying or who came and went. You're just saying God here it is. It's my children. They're lost. God it's my husband. God it's my family. God it's my sickness I need you in this today and you get so passionate about it so passionate about it that they say I believe it was of Washington that when he knelt down in the snow to pray and he was viewing I think it was maybe Valley Forge or something like that he prayed our then president prayed so passionately that history says the snow on the ground around him began to melt because he was praying and what was coming off of him. When's the last time you and I prayed that way? One of the great missionaries of, of our particular organization, William H. Cole, Brother Cole, Billy Cole, in and out of my family's home throughout my life. Lisa and I preached for them, stayed in their home. When he and his wife were in Thailand, she interceded beside the bed in their home or hotel so long and so hard that her body literally began to break down and blood and water like you hear about Jesus on Calvary. Things that happened there. She interceded so long that just the chemical makeup and imbalances and things in her body began. Things that are supposed to work together started separating because she was so intent in intercession and prayer for a country that needed the message of truth. And her and her husband were there in this foreign land. And she interceded. I heard him tell the story time and time again, almost breaking her health of praying, God, you have to do it. But as a result of that, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are living for God and in the truth today in that country because they pioneered that. I have pictures of my own father and brother Cole there all the way in the 70s when they were under tents and they were preaching back in the bush and their lives were under attack. God can change things when people start praying. We can come to church. We can patty cake for Jesus. We can talk about what it used to be or we can say, God, give us revival. 
revival in Aurora. God, give us revival in Colorado. God, help us. My family needs you. My loved ones need you. This city needs you. Where are the prayer warriors? Where are the Hezekiahs? Where are the people that would say, we cannot keep doing this like we've been doing this? God, something has to change. They prayed the prayers and God started working. Verse 36 says, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. Hezekiah didn't lift one hand. Nobody put any armor on. Nobody went out to the battle. The angel of the Lord, God sent an angel and said, kill 185,000 right down in that army. Show them who I... Prayer, prayer causes God to send an angelic attack on whatever it is that's coming against you. When you start praying, you're not wasting time. You might not even be able to see what God's doing. But as, as you pray, you have to know that God is launching an attack from heaven against that situation that has come against us. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, those were all these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home. He said, oh, no, I don't want anything to do with that. The devil is afraid of your prayer life. The devil is afraid of what can happen when you and I start praying. We start praying and God starts working and the devil starts running. I'm not going to read the rest, but you read the next two verses and you find out that Sennacherib's own sons rose up against him and slew him with the sword. Don't overlook the obvious. Prayer could literally change your situation today. He said, because you have prayed, I'm sending an angel. Because you prayed, Sennacherib's going home. Because you prayed, that attack is dying. The next three days, we're pushing the plate back. You can push the plate back and suffer along if you want to. Or you can check the box of prayer every day and say, I'm not just going to say I didn't eat for three days. I'm going to pray because something's going to happen as a result of our church coming together saying, Lord, hear us from heaven. Hear us and move. This building, there's room for people to walk through these doors. There's room for more chairs to be set out. Lord, there's people living in neighborhoods that are around us. There's people that we work with and loved ones that we have that have yet to know the truth. You cannot just talk them into it. God has to draw them. God, listen, testify, share, do whatever you can. But pray that God grips their heart. Pray that God begins to pull them. Because unless the Spirit does the work, you and I can never do it on our own. Prayer will release the work of God to be done. I'm preaching this today because I believe the next three days can be a powerful time in our church when we just start checking that box. If I don't get anything else done today, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray sincerely. I'm going to pray specifically. I'm going to pray intently. And I'm going to pray until heaven moves. Until heaven moves and earth is shaken.
Anybody want to step out from where you are and join me in this altar for a moment? I preached a while today. I know that. But I'm burdened. I want us to be a praying church. I want this to be a church that is recognized as a house of prayer where things happen. If there's sick among you, if there are those in despair, if there's trouble going on, folks walk through the doors of this church and they hear a praying church mother. They hear an elder praying. They see young families and single adults and they see students and children laying out on the floor before the Lord interceding. That's what it's about. We're not here to just go through motions prayer can deliver people prayer can heal people prayer can save people prayer can change situations it'll keep you in the darkest of moments it'll keep you in the most difficult of times prayer before they sing anything I want to hear your voices raise them to heaven for a moment